Now, today I want to talk to you about something that's very, very important regarding the return of Jesus, and that is nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody. Not anyone. Let me shock you. Jesus doesn't know. The angels don't know. Only God knows, and he's not telling. Can you imagine that? And so we have people coming along giving dates for the return of Christ when even Jesus said, I don't know, and the angels don't know. So I guarantee you we don't know, but we can know the season. Now I want to read out of Matthew 24 and verse 32. Matthew 24, as we've been sharing the last few weeks, and this is my last message on the last days according to Jesus. But we have been sharing that Jesus in Matthew 24 is answering three questions that the disciples asked him. They said, when will these things be? These things being the temple coming down, as Jesus predicted. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they asked really three questions, a three-pronged question. And Jesus spent Matthew 24 answering that question. And Matthew 25 giving us parables all that had to do with his return. So let's read it. Jesus said, now, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, that is the signs he gave us coming to pass, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. The generation that sees all the signs happening. Verse 35, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. My word you can stand on, walk on, live by, die by. It will never disappear. It will never pass away. Verse 36, however, read the next part with me, church. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And he's not telling. Amen? Lord, thank you for your blessing. I pray that you will awaken us to the coming of Jesus Christ. Help us to live a life that is ready for his return. Lord, I pray for unction now on the word of God. I pray that you will anoint me to preach this message and anoint the congregation to hear it to really hear it, and, Lord, to take it to heart. Thank you for divine illumination. Thank you for your presence resting on this place. Thank you for revelation from the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for smiling on us today as we have gathered in your name. In Jesus' name, breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive the Word of God engrafted into my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. Now, Jesus has given us many signs to look for that point to the general season of his return. The season. We can know the season. But he tells us at the end of this Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 that only the Father knows The exact time, and as I've already said several times, he's not telling. God's not telling. He doesn't want to tell. God, in his own infinite wisdom, has chosen to not give us the date, the time. 
I think it's because we would live worldly until that day came and be a lot of people getting right at midnight, getting ready for him to come sometime during that 24-hour period. So God has kept it a secret. God has chosen not to tell. But he has given us lots of signs, many signs, that we can begin to look like the fig tree when it begins to blossom. Then you know that summer is near. In Texas, when you see the grass beginning to turn green again, you know that summer is near. We say, look, everything is starting to blossom and bloom. We know that summer is near. Jesus said, when you see these things happening, you can know I am near even at the door, standing at the door, right there. I am close. I'm a breath away. It's normal and natural to want to know the time. I wish I knew the time. It'd be just kind of cool to know. Even the disciples said, when will these things be? But his answer is always the same. It's not for you to know. So Jesus' advice to us is simply this. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You should always be ready, alert, stay awake, be sober, be vigilant, because you don't know when he's going to come back. Now, all in all, the Lord has given us several key truths about the timing of his return. And I want to go over some of those key truths again to sort of summarize where we've been the last three weeks, but also to, to reiterate that nobody does know the day or the hour. First, never forget, never forget that nobody knows the precise moment of his return. Now, now why is it important for me to, to reiterate that and for the Bible to remind us of that? Because did you know that since the days of Jesus, certain believers and church leaders all through the centuries have claimed to know the day and the hour, and they have led many people astray right up to our day. And I'm going to go over a couple of them in a minute. Now, I did a little checking, a little historical study, and I, I was able to count at least 45 major, heavily influential predictions given by church leaders of the very day Christ would return only for all of them to fail. 45 times, and that's not all of them, but I counted 45, when some church leader or a group of leaders took a stand and, and their predictions were heavily influential, where a majority of the church was listening to them and believing them, and their predictions failed, of course, because God only knows and he's not telling. Here's some examples. In the year 500 A.D., five centuries after Jesus, three Christian theologians predicted his return that very year. He's coming back in the year 500. It failed, and it left many church people completely disillusioned. Then about three centuries later, in 796, on April 6th, a Spanish monk prophesied to a crowd of people that Jesus would return that very day. That takes guts. And it failed. And he went into hiding. Many church leaders predicted Jesus would return. This was a big one. On January 1st of the year 1000. That was a big one. That was a change of a millennium. And as the turn of the millennium approached, it was universally believed that the end of the world was at hand and that Jesus Christ would descend upon Jerusalem to judge mankind. Panic swept all throughout Europe's population. 
Thousands forsook their homes and jobs and fled to Jerusalem awaiting the return of Christ. Some squandered their substance in riotous living. Well, if he's about to come back, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to be judged. And then the church folks, there were wailing multitudes laying day and night on altars looking for the end of the earth. And it never happened. And hundreds of thousands of people were disillusioned. Jumping ahead to our generation, I went through one of these myself. In 1988, a man named Edgar Wisenant published a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. I was pastoring in East Texas at the time, and everybody in my church had one of these books. And some quit their jobs, some sold their businesses. I kid you not, I watched it happen. And others left our church in anger because I would not go along with it. They thought I was out of the spirit. Don't you know, Pastor Jeff, he's coming back and you're not getting the people ready. As the date approached, regular programming on TBN was interrupted to provide special instructions on preparing for the rapture. It never happened. And the boy who cried wolf, a skepticism about the Lord's return only grew. Because now we got boy crying wolf, boy crying wolf, boy crying wolf, church crying wolf, church crying, here's the date, here's the time, he's coming back. And he never did. The most recent worldwide prediction came from a man named Harold Camping, who was the general manager of the family radio network, who predicted that Christ would return both in 1994, and when that didn't happen, he changed and went to May 21st, 2011. He also added the world would end on October 21st of the same year. So you got Jesus coming back May 21st, and then October 21st, the whole world was going to be destroyed. And the news picked up on this. I remember CNN and Fox and a few others picked up on his predictions and were watching and televising when that day came and went. It never happened, causing the secular media to mock and ridicule the church. And that's exactly what they did. All these predictions failed because, church, Jesus said, only the Father knows, and he's not telling. But one thing is certain, Jesus will return. I don't know when, I don't know the hour, but I can tell you Jesus Christ is going to return. He said, I'm coming back. Be ready. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And and as long as you're in this church, you're going to hear preaching on Jesus is coming back. We will not walk away from the Bible. We will not walk away from the words of Jesus. People may think it a fantastic thing to say, but let me tell you something. It was also fantastic to say that a virgin would conceive. And would bring forth a child. And he would be all God, all man, and all man, and all God. And he would be a supernatural individual unlike any man that ever walked planet earth. Jesus Christ. That seemed fantastic. How could a virgin ever conceive? But the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. And that holy thing conceived in her was of and by and from the Holy Spirit. If he could come once supernaturally, he'll come again supernaturally. It's a fact. He's coming back. 
Now, another thing that Jesus said about his coming, and I want to reiterate this, closing out this series, the world will be totally unprepared for his coming. The world will be utterly, utterly shocked and stunned at the return of Jesus Christ. It will take them by surprise. Now, Jesus, when he was answering this question, how how will we know these things, Lord, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus drew a comparison between two men. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And it was, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Let me just take one of them, Noah. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the days before the flood. Now notice, Jesus validated the worldwide flood. Don't let anybody tell you that that's not true. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, validated the worldwide flood. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then Jesus said, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be sitting there walking along. One will be taken, the other left. Two women chatting about the day's business. One will be taken, the other left. Jesus said that. It will be a shocking event that takes the world by surprise. So it behooves us to say, well, then what in the world was the days of Noah What were the days of Noah like? Jesus said, as it was then, it'll be when I return. So what was Noah's day like? Well, the best way to describe it is business as usual. Now, listen carefully. Because I used to read the way Jesus described them, and I went, well, big deal. They weren't doing anything wrong, marrying, giving in marriage, going to work, coming home. What was the big deal? Here's the big deal. He paints a picture of a generation totally unaffected by the warnings of Noah, who was not just the ark builder but a preacher of righteousness, Second Peter tells us, who warned them of the approaching judgment. Noah built the ark with one hand and preached with the other. He was a preacher and a builder, a builder and a preacher. He did both just as equally strongly and consistently. He warned them. The reason I'm building this ark is because a great flood is coming. You need to listen to the word of God because a great flood is coming. Now, you need to keep in mind that before the great flood came, it had never rained from the sky. The Bible says a mist came up from the ground and watered all the vegetation. It had not rained. There had never been rain falling from the sky up to the time of the flood. So when he describes this great flood, it seemed nutty, crazy. They'd never seen anything like this. Hebrews tells us of Noah... Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast to the sin and disbelief of the rest of the world, which refused to obey. He preached for 120 years, for 120 years, a century and 20, and he didn't have one convert. That's how hard-hearted his generation was. He preached for 120 years, and not one convert, not one person said, wow, I believe you. I believe the word of God. I'm getting into that ark. 
Not one. So we said, well, what was wrong with that generation? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving. They were totally hard-hearted and resistant to the word of God. It was just business as usual. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, buying and selling, just doing life until the day that Noah entered the ark. The crazy old boat builder down the road was the brunt of all their jokes. People of Noah's day mocked him, saying it'll never happen. What Water out of the sky, what are you talking about? It'll never happen. 120 years he looked them in the eye. 120 years he warned them. 120 years he stood before them and preached and warned. And Jesus said the world would be just the same before his return. That's what he said. The comparisons between Noah's day and ours are striking. Let me give you some comparisons. Noah warned of something never before witnessed by human beings. A great worldwide flood. Likewise, the church of Jesus Christ is warning the world today of something never before seen by human beings. The return of Jesus Christ in the sky. In Noah's day, clouds and rains in the sky. In our day, Jesus Christ appearing in the sky. They mocked him, they mock us. Another comparison, the people of Noah's day scoffed and mocked at his warnings of a flood. The people of our generation are doing the same thing when we say that Jesus is coming back and that he's the only way to salvation. They mock, they ridicule, they make fun. I'm hearing it more and more, more and more. I heard a comedian this week, if you want to call them a comedian, make fun of the second coming. It was, I was getting ready for this. It was like God wanted me to hear it. This comedian, and everybody laughed. This comedian making fun of the second coming, mocking and ridiculing, and it fulfills what Peter saw coming. Peter saw this coming, and he wrote, I want to remind you that in the last days, our days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, so Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? He'll never come. Wah-ha-ha. But he is coming. It rained and the flood came as Noah had warned. And I tell you, based on the word of God, one day a trumpet will blow and not rain, but Christ will appear in the sky and he will come. As surely as we sit here, he's coming back. And he said, be ready. Be sure you're ready. Keep oil in your lamp. Keep the wicks trimmed. Keep your light burning. So that you're not taken by surprise. Jesus said it'll be just the same before his return. Mockers and persecutors and ridiculers mocking the message of God's people. The comparison between Noah's day goes on. Another incredible comparison. As Jesus has given us signs of his return, he gave us many signs. We've gone over them in the last few weeks. The people of Noah's day were also given signs that pointed to the time the flood would come. Did you know that? One of the signs was that crazy old man down the road building the ark. That was a sign because every day he's out there. Every day it's it's building, it's advancing. Every day he's making headway. Every day that boat is taking shape. Every day that giant ship that would take 
two of every living thing and save the species during the flood was going up. And every day Noah was telling them, it's going to rain, it's going to flood, that's why you need to get on this boat. It was a sign. He was a sign. But there was another sign. One of those signs was the oldest man that ever lived. His name was Methuselah. He lived 969 years. Oldest man to ever live. 969 years, and he represents the grace of God. Listen carefully to me. He represents the grace of God. That's why he lived the longest, because God's grace was stretching. Because you know what his name means? His name means when he dies, it will come. When he dies, it. The preposition it. When he dies, it. What's the it? The flood. The the flood that Noah was warning of. When he dies, when Methuselah dies, it will come. It will come. The flood will come. So God sort of used Methuselah as a divine hourglass. When Methuselah was born, and he was the son of Enoch, and he was Noah's granddaddy. When he was born, the hourglass was turned upside down. God named him Methuselah. When he dies, it'll come. And they had all that time. And God let him live longer than any man, representing the grace of God and how it stretched, how it reached, how it lasted. He lived almost a thousand years. God waiting as Noah preached, as his grandson Noah preached. Maybe somebody will repent. God waited. God waited, and God waited, and God waited, and Methuselah lived, and he lived, and he lived, and he lived, but one day he died. And when he died, the Bible says that's the year the flood came. When he dies, it will come. When he died, it came. He was a sign. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. He's given us signs. And when those signs appear and happen with greater intensity and frequency than ever before, then you can know he is near right at the door. And as surely as that flood came, Jesus will come also. Amen. Amen. Another comparison is the people of Noah's day were taken totally off guard when the flood came and took them all away. They were taken totally off guard. Jesus said, listen to his words, before the great flood, everybody was carrying on as usual, having a good time. Now I'm reading out of the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase, but I like the way it put it. Before the great flood, everybody was carrying on as usual, having a good time, right up to the day that Noah boarded the ark. They knew nothing... They were ignorant because they had rejected the word of God. They didn't know anything because they had rejected knowing anything. They knew nothing until the flood hit and swept them all away. It'll be the same when Christ returns where Jesus said, so shall my coming be. It'll be just like that. They won't know anything because they haven't wanted to know anything. The Bible says, he that would be ignorant, let him remain ignorant. The Bible talks about how we suppress the truth. How we will hear the truth, but we'll suppress the truth. Our generation is suppressing the truth. We don't want Jesus in our schools. We don't want him in the public square. We don't want our politicians talking about him. We don't want our teachers mentioning him. We don't want him in any way 
glorified or manifested or majored on or front-burnered in our culture. We, we want to suppress the truth. And that's what they did in Noah's day. He warned them for 120 years and they suppressed it so that when the flood came, they didn't know anything because they didn't want to know anything. Paul said, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. Now, I didn't write that. The Bible says that. Thief in the night. How's a thief in the night come? Secretly? Stealthily? Quietly? Unexpectedly? And a final comparison to Noah's day and ours is that in Noah's day, there was only one place of safety, the ark Noah built. I want you to notice there were not five arks. There were not five options. It was not which door will it be, door number one, door number two, or door number three. There was only one ark. Everybody get this now, because this is where you and I live. There was only one ark, one place of safety, one exit route, And that was the ark Noah built. And guess what? On that ark, there was only one door. There was one door. He didn't tell Noah to build five doors. He he said, I want you to build. And I'm quoting God. God was very clear about the one door when instructing Noah, when he was building the ark. He said, put the door, the only door, the one door on the side. He was very clear about the door. Now, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I come back. Folks, as there was only one door then, there's only one door now. He put the door on the side. He said to Noah specifically, I want that door on the side. He put it on the side so that everybody could see it. He put the door on the side for easy access. It was big enough, think about it for an elephant to meander through, but it was patient enough for a snail to crawl to it. One door, that door, that one door was the most important door in all the world. There were a lot of doors in Noah's day, doors into houses, doors into rooms, doors into other places, but this door was the most important door In the whole world, it was the door, that door, the one door that God made available. That door called out to Noah's generation each and every day for over a century. Think about it. And it said, whosoever will, let him come. Every day. Now listen, I'm I'm imagining, but I think I'm probably pretty right. When Noah preached, he pointed to the door. He said, if you want to know how to get out of the flood that's coming, there's the door. There's one door, one way, one out, one exit route, one option. It's that door. And I think he he preached to them and pointed to it like we preach and point to Jesus. That door called out every day as they walked by going to school. 
They called out every day as mom and dad walked down the street to go get groceries. That door. But listen to me. The same God that gave the door also shut the door. The Bible says that once Noah and his family were securely in the ark, God shut the door. It was a huge door. And the power of God, the finger of God, the hand of God. Once Noah and, and his family were in there, Noah, Mrs. Noah, his three sons, and their wives, once they were in and all the species were in there, and you say, Jeff, do you really believe that? I said, of course I believe that. Go to the ark they have built. For it, it's the real dimensions of the ark. You can see every species could have fit in that ark, and they did. God called the elephant. God called the bear. God called the leopard. God called the lion. God called the snail. God called all of them, and they made their way to that ark. And when the time came, and the time was up, and the last grain of sand went through the hourglass, God reached his mighty hand down, and an invisible hand raised that door up and shut it. <clears throat> Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Listen, after God shut the door, the time of judgment had come. The generation that had walked past the door, ignored the door, mocked the door, one day pounded on that door. Let me in. But folks, can I just show you? It was too late. There comes a time when the day of grace is over. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, this is a really serious message. I serve a serious God, and I preach a serious gospel. Seriously now. This is where we're headed. We're, we're looking at a generation that walks by the door, past the door all the time. They look at Jesus. They hear about Jesus. They see witnesses of Jesus. They listen to messages about Jesus. He's everywhere. But they walk by the door. They mock the door. Did you know that Jesus himself said, I am the door. I am the door. And then he said, anyone who goes in through me will be saved. Anybody who goes in through me will be saved. As there was only one door in Noah's day, there's only one door in our day. Folks, there's not five, there's not ten, there's not twenty. It's not the door of your choice. It's not the door of your liking. It's not the door that you kind of pick and choose. You say, well, I'll have a little dash of Buddhism and a little dash of Islam and a little bit of Christianity here, a little bit of New Age there, and I'll put them all into a great big stew and have a nice religious spiritual stew all the ones that I like. No. As in Noah's day, Jesus said as it was in Noah's day, <clears throat> there was one door. I am the door, Jesus said. Anybody who goes in through me will be saved. Now, why am I preaching like this? Because, listen, I want a church that takes this message to the world. We need to take this message to the world. We need to take it to the whole world. I want them to know that there is a door. And can I tell you something about that door? That door, the door of salvation is held open right now by a blood-stained cross. Picture the door. Here it is. There's a doorway. And the door is open. But it's being held open by the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. Where he died for you and for me. He shed his blood. 
Nobody died for you like Jesus did. Nobody shed his blood like Jesus did. Nobody was all God and all man, all man and all God. Nobody was the God man who could die for us like Jesus did. Jesus gave his blood and now God says, whosoever will, let him come. And the only way through that door is to go by way of the blood-stained cross that's holding it open. But the day will come when the invisible hand of God will reach down and remove that cross and the door will shut. That's why the Bible says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today, everybody say today. today. That's God's favorite word. You know what the devil's favorite word is? Tomorrow. Or I'll make it even better, someday. God's favorite word is today. The devil's favorite word is someday. Well, someday. Yeah, that preacher, he's a little bit worked up up there today. I'll, I'll go out and I'll think about what he said, and someday I'll do something about it. Someday I'll make a decision. Someday. And you know what? The devil makes sure that that someday never comes. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So we have a, an, an earnestness and we have a, we have a desire to do all that we can in as many ways as we can to reach as many people as we can. Because we know that the day is coming when God will shut the door and Christ will return. And when he returns, it'll be too late for anybody to get right. It'll be too late because the door of grace is shut. Are you ready to meet Jesus? And, you know, people watching by streaming video, are you ready? We have people watching from other states, other areas in the country. Are you ready? And, and I believe most listening to me are ready, but let me ask you this. Have you ever just shared with your loved ones about this? Because Jesus said, be ready. Jesus said, be ready. He said, get ready. Because he is going to come as surely as the flood came. Can we stand up? How many of you can say, Jeff, this was heavy, but I really appreciated the word. Come on. Amen. Amen. How many of you are so glad you walked through the door? That door. Amen. I tried other doors before I was saved. Oh, I did. I've told you I tried Buddhism. I tried transcendental meditation. I did. I read all about it. They said, go get in a lotus position. I got in a lotus position. I went out in the woods. I said, I'm going to become one with nature. And I got into my lotus position. And I was going home. Because I wanted to become one with nature and one with the universe and one with the universal rhythm. And all of a sudden, I started feeling pain. And I looked down and came out of my trance and I was covered in ants. <laughs> it, was like, it was like God saying, son, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not the door. That's right. I said, ah, I jumped up. That was the end of my time with Buddhism. Thank God, one day I walked through the door. Let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus.
Jesus, we just thank you today for this strong word that you gave to us. You gave it to us. Now, Lord, I pray for anybody who may not be ready that today, today would be the day they get right. Draw them with cords of love. Draw them with cords of grace. Thank you, Lord, for your long suffering, how you let Methuselah live longer than any man to extend the time before judgment came. And now, Lord, we know that you're also waiting, not willing that any man would perish, but all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you for the amazing, crazy grace of God that loves us and stays with us. Now, Lord, we pray for our world. We pray that you will give us the doors we need open to preach this gospel to the entire world. Starting here, take it to the whole world. Lord, give us a voice, your voice. Make a way where there is no way. And thank you, Lord, that you're coming again. Church, can you just say thank you, Lord, you're coming again. Thank you, Lord, you're coming again. Amen, amen.